May I speak in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Christ in the wilderness, 5,000 fed with two small fish and five loaves of bread. May he who multiplied that division bless and hallow this provision. Amen. Have you heard that before? Maybe. Maybe. Well, I think I shared it with you, actually. That's a trick question. Uh, I shared it with you several years ago. Um, in, I think I did, anyway. Several years ago, Shelley and I visited the choir school at uh, St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue, in Manhattan. And this was the prayer that, uh, that we heard the students pray before their evening meals. Okay? I assume you know where it comes from. Christ in the wilderness, 5,000 fed, with two small fish and five loaves of bread. We just heard it, of course. There you go. Of course we did. It's in the sixth chapter of St. John, wherein we see Jesus doing exactly what this little you know, children's meal prayer speaks of. You know, Jesus and his disciples go across, the, <clears throat> go across the Sea of Galilee, and on the Passover, they're out in the middle, I imagine, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and there arises the question, the question of feeding these throngs of people who are there with them. As it turns out, we're told about 5,000 people. That's quite a few. It really is. 5,000 people. Well, they manage uh, to put together five barley loaves and two small fish. Sounds like that should cover it, right? No. And this barely seems enough to fill 5,000 people, doesn't it? I, I don't know if the disciples could have eaten on that, you know. Depends how hungry they were, I guess. Anyhow, well, Jesus has the people sit down, says a blessing over the bread, gives it to the disciples, who then, in turn, the, the disciples distribute it to the crowds. And there's not only enough bread and fish to go around, they actually take up the leftovers, don't they? Amazing. Miraculous. It's just this little bit. Just this little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. Jesus blesses it and gives them the assurance to, to go and distribute it. And they are able to take up baskets left over. Miraculous. It's a fabulous miracle that, that, that teaches us a whole, a whole host of things. And by year by year, we go into little different portions of what this parable teaches us. We can strip it away. Each little bit, each little bit of symbolism gives us something. But I'd ask us today, this year, I'd ask us on this fourth Sunday of Lent, fourth Sunday in Lent, why? Why on earth? Why do we hear this? Why are we hearing this lesson on this Sunday? On this Sunday in particular? And what exactly are we supposed to take away from this? Being as it is given to us in the fourth Sunday in Lent. Now, I assume you're getting the format by now. I mean, we've been trying to talk through this each week. I've I've been reminding us just about every week. The the lectionary gives us this very, very, very deliberate plan of readings. And taken as a whole, the the nine weeks that we have, the nine weeks of of pre-Lent and Lent, three of pre-Lent, six of Lent, they're some of the oldest and most deliberate series of readings in the entire year. Nine weeks spent dealing with the journey to Holy Pascha, or Easter, which, which corresponds to our, our entire journey through our Christian life, if we take it that way. And you might recall we had three weeks of preparation for the journey, remember that? Then we had three weeks of the hazards of the journey. Now we have three weeks left. And we enter into three weeks of now looking toward the journey's end. We had preparation, we had some warnings, and now we're going to look and see what the journey, where the journey is going to take us. 
You need that, don't you? I mean, if think about a trip you're taking, you know, by car or something. If you only have preparation, and then you had a bunch of hazards, you might not want to, you know, might not want to even take the journey at all, right? It wouldn't seem quite it seem pointless. Well, this first Sunday of the three, the first Sunday of, the, of these final three, which is now the fourth Sunday in Lent, it gives us perhaps the most profound, the most highly symbolic and in some ways the most poetic look at the journey's end. And it is indeed, it's something that we we take with us throughout the entire length of our Christian life. And I hope, I hope something that we value more than anything else on earth. See, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000 in in brief, it, it points us to the mystery of the Holy Eucharist and to the coming of the Kingdom of God. Both of those things. The, the illusion of the bread pointing us to the Eucharist, I, I think that's probably pretty clear. I would assume we probably pick up on that pretty quickly. But if we think about what is signified by 5,000 people sitting down to eat together, well, maybe we'll, we'll stop for a moment and consider what it is that the life of the kingdom is going to entail. I mean, the church fathers, they point out the, the, the outright harmony of 5,000 people eating together. You know, eating together in the presence of Jesus Christ. 5,000 people plopping down on the grass and eating together in harmony in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I can only imagine that if we were all suddenly dropped down into the middle of a dinner party with 5,000 people, uh, we'd probably manage to find somebody with whom we couldn't get along. Somebody with whom we, did, we wouldn't see eye to eye. Imagine taking 5,000 people at random out of Galesburg and sticking us in with them. You'd find somebody that you don't see eye to eye with, wouldn't you? I bet. Well, not this group. We were all pretty ironic. But that, that's the nature and that's the harsh reality of being human, isn't it? I mean, we, we don't all get along. We don't see eye to eye. But in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be any division, you see. In the kingdom of God, there won't be any division. Come the resurrection. Come the resurrection when we stand again on the earth with glorified bodies. Ask yourself, will it be possible for there to be division and arguments? Will there be disagreements and bickering? Will there be, will there be hatred and envy? No. No. It's impossible. It won't be in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating, the church fathers point out. He's demonstrating the feeding of the 5,000. And this is the mystery, then, that is alluded to as it points to the Holy Eucharist. You see, in the divine liturgy, we we enter into something otherworldly. We enter into something that is just absolutely otherworldly. This gathering right here, this gathering, every gathering of the saints of God... This action that we do together here in the Holy of Holies, this assembly of the mystical body of Christ, this is where we see heaven and earth overlap, don't we? This is where we get a glimpse of what it will be like after the second coming and after the judgment when God makes all things new and heaven and earth are going to then fully overlap. It will be seamless at that point. This is a glimpse of of what it will look like. This. Look at yourselves, you see. This is a glimpse of what it might look like. It's 
not just this, this place, of course, and not just these four walls. I mean, we can, we can do this in another location. We often do. We could do this in a home. We have done that as a parish, too. We could do it out in the field, if need be. I've, I've done it in a field in the Dominican Republic. We could do it anywhere, but we could always still say with certainty, Christ is in our midst. And that points to that overlapping, that place where heaven and earth come together and indeed overlap. And this action, this action is to point us to all those characteristics of the kingdom, you see. All of that is supposed to point us to the kingdom. Love, charity, harmony, peace, humility, justice. All the things that the kingdom is going to have in abundance. And it is to lack all of those things that the kingdom will not allow. Division, hatred, jealousy, grudges, prejudice. Those things for which there will be no place in the kingdom. What we do here is supposed to point us at that. What's the point us to that? And perhaps this gives us a hint of why it is that we're given this particular miracle in the Gospel on this Sunday as our first Lenten glimpse each year of what the end of the journey is going to look like. You see, it's a prefiguring of the holy mystery of the, the divine liturgy, which is in itself a prefiguring of the kingdom of God when heaven and earth are joined. Wow. So contemplate this today, I'd ask you. Contemplate this. Contemplate this today as we celebrate these holy mysteries in the Divine Liturgy today, as, as we pray for the descent of the Holy and Life-Giving Spirit upon the gifts of bread and wine, that they may be changed into the precious body and blood of Jesus Christ, who gives himself as, as divine and holy food. Well, as we pray that, as we pray that today, pray too that we might understand a bit more, even just, even just ever so slightly, what it is that we are called to by the, by the Christian hope and in the Christian hope. In the hope of the coming of the kingdom. In, in the hope of a glorious resurrection. And in the hope of life eternal. And that's pointing us liturgically to just a few weeks down the road, you see. That's what the end of the journey looks like. But then let that come full circle and perhaps inform us as as to how we live our lives out there in the world as well. When we take what we're fed with here from the altar and allow that to energize us to go out into the world as well. To inform how we live our lives in trying to make the kingdom present right here and right now in treating each other, in treating one another and in treating everyone else as we would treat Jesus Christ. And trying to see the face of Jesus Christ in each other, even with those with whom we most need to be reconciled in our lives. For that's his plan, you see. That's his plan. And that is what the kingdom will look like. It's a miracle. A miracle that's much greater than just the multiplication of loaves and fishes. If we stop there with that miracle and don't go beyond that, we've really kind of missed his point. It's a miracle much greater than just that multiplication. It's a miracle spoken of in the middle of the 4th century by the great Western doctor of the church, St. Hilary of Poitiers, who wrote, Wonder not that the fountains run, 
Wonder not that there are grapes in the vines, and that wine comes forth from the grapes, and that all the resources of this world come to us in a certain yearly and unwearied motion. For this so great yield of loaves proclaims the maker of all this, by whom the quantity of the substance he has touched is so increased. Under this visible work we have an invisible making, and the Lord of heaven's mysteries works the miracle of this mystery before us. And the power of him who makes surpasses all nature. And the nature of that power far exceeds our understanding of what he does. And all that remains is the mystery of his power, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth ever, one God, world without end. May I speak in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Christ in the wilderness, five thousand fed with two small fish and five loaves of bread. May he who multiplied that division bless and hallow this provision. Amen. Have you heard that before? Maybe. Maybe. Well, I think I shared it with you, actually. That's a trick question. Uh, I shared it with you several years ago. Um, in, I think I did, anyway. Several years ago, Shelley and I visited the choir school at uh, St. Thomas Church, Fifth Avenue, in Manhattan. And this was the prayer that, uh, that we heard the students pray before their evening meals. Okay? I assume you know where it comes from. Christ in the wilderness, 5,000 fed, with two small fish and five loaves of bread. We just heard it, of course. There you go. Of course we did. It's in the sixth chapter of St. John, wherein we see Jesus doing exactly what this little you know, children's meal prayer speaks of. You know, Jesus and his disciples go across, the, <clears throat> go across the Sea of Galilee, and on the Passover, they're out in the middle, I imagine, kind of out in the middle of nowhere, and there arises the question, the question of feeding these throngs of people who are there with them. As it turns out, we're told about 5,000 people. That's quite a few. It really is. 5,000 people. Well, they manage uh, to put together five barley loaves and two small fish. Sounds like that should cover it, right? No. I mean, this barely seems enough to fill 5,000 people, doesn't it? I, I don't know if the disciples could have eaten on that, you know. Depends how hungry they were, I guess. Anyhow, well, Jesus has the people sit down, says a blessing over the bread, gives it to the disciples, who then, in turn, the, the disciples distribute it to the crowds. And there's not only enough bread and fish to go around, they actually take up the leftovers, don't they? Amazing. Miraculous. It's just this little bit. Just this little bit of bread, a little bit of fish. Jesus blesses it and gives them the assurance to, to go and distribute it. And they are able to take up baskets left over. Miraculous. It's a fabulous miracle that, that, that teaches us a whole, a whole host of things. And by year by year, we go into little different portions of what this parable teaches us. We can strip it away. Each little bit, each little bit of symbolism gives us something. But I'd ask us today, this year, I'd ask us on this fourth Sunday of Lent, 
Fourth Sunday in Lent. Why? Why on earth? Why do we hear this? Why are we hearing this lesson on this Sunday? On this Sunday in particular? And what exactly are we supposed to take away from this? Being as it is given to us in the fourth Sunday in Lent. Now, I assume you're getting the format by now. I mean, I... We've been trying to talk through this each week. I've I've been reminding us just about every week the the lectionary gives us this very, very, very deliberate plan of readings. And taken as a whole, the the nine weeks that we have, the nine weeks of of pre-Lent and Lent, three of pre-Lent, six of Lent, they're some of the oldest and most deliberate series of readings in the entire year. Nine weeks spent dealing with the journey to Holy Pascha, or Easter. Which, which correspond to our, our entire journey through our Christian life, if we take it that way. And you might recall we had three weeks of preparation for the journey. Remember that? Then we had three weeks of the hazards of the journey. Now we have three weeks left. And we enter into three weeks of now looking for the journey's end. We had preparation, we had some warnings, and now we're going to look and see what the journey, where the journey is going to take us. You need that, don't you? I mean, if think about a trip you're taking, you know, by car or something. If you only have preparation, and then you had a bunch of hazards, you might not want to, you know, might not even take the journey at all, right? It wouldn't seem quite, it seem pointless. Well, this first Sunday of the three, the first Sunday of, the, of these final three, which is now the fourth Sunday in Lent, it gives us perhaps the most profound, the most highly symbolic. And in some ways, the most poetic look at the journey's end. And it is indeed, it's something that we we take with us throughout the entire length of our Christian life. And I hope, I hope, something that we value more than anything else on earth. See, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 5,000 in in brief, it, it points us to the mystery of the Holy Eucharist and to the coming of the kingdom of God. Both of those things. The the illusion of the bread pointing us to the Eucharist, I I think that's probably pretty clear. I would assume we probably pick up on that pretty quickly. But if we think about what is signified by 5,000 people sitting down to eat together, maybe we'll, we'll stop for a moment and consider what it is that the life of the kingdom is going to entail. I mean, the church fathers, they point out the, the, the outright harmony of 5,000 people eating together. You know, eating together in the presence of Jesus Christ. 5,000 people plopping down on the grass and eating together in harmony in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I can only imagine that if we were all suddenly dropped down into the middle of a dinner party with 5,000 people, uh, we'd probably manage to find somebody with whom we couldn't get along. Somebody with whom we, did, we wouldn't see eye to eye. Imagine taking 5,000 people at random out of Galesburg and sticking us in with them. You'd find somebody that you don't see eye to eye with, wouldn't you? I bet. Well, not this group. We were all pretty ironic. But that, that's the nature and that's the harsh reality of being human, isn't it? I mean, we, we don't all get along. We don't see eye to eye. But in the kingdom of God, there's not going to be any division, you see. In the kingdom of God, there won't be any division. Come the resurrection. Come the resurrection when we stand again on the earth with glorified bodies. Ask yourself, will it be possible for there to be division and arguments? 
Will there be disagreements and bickering? Will there be will there be hatred and envy? No. No. It's impossible. It won't be in the kingdom. And this is what Jesus is demonstrating, the church fathers point out. He's demonstrating the feeding of the five thousand. And this is the mystery then that is alluded to as it points to the Holy Eucharist. You see, in the divine liturgy, we, we enter into something otherworldly. We enter into something that is just absolutely otherworldly. This gathering right here, this gathering, every gathering of the saints of God, this action that we do together here in the Holy of Holies, this assembly of the mystical body of Christ, this is where we see heaven and earth overlap, don't we? This is where we get a glimpse of what it will be like after the second coming and after the judgment when God makes all things new and heaven and earth are going to then fully overlap. It will be seamless at that point. This is a glimpse of what it will look like. This. Look at yourselves, you see. This is a glimpse of what it might look like. It's not just this, this place, of course, and not just these four walls. I mean, we can... We can do this in another location. We often do. We could do this in a home. We have done that as a parish too. We could do it out in the field, if need be. I've, I've done it in a field in the Dominican Republic. We could do it anywhere, but we could always still say with certainty, Christ is in our midst. And that points to that overlapping, that place where heaven and earth come together and indeed overlap. And this action, this action is to point us to all of those characteristics of the kingdom, you see. All of that is supposed to point us to the kingdom. Love, charity, harmony, peace, humility, justice. All the things that the kingdom is going to have in abundance. And it is to lack all of those things that the kingdom will not allow. Division, hatred, jealousy grudges, prejudice, those things for which there will be no place in the kingdom. What we do here is supposed to point us at that. It's supposed to point us to that. And perhaps this gives us a hint of why it is that we're given this particular miracle in the Gospel on this Sunday as our first Lenten glimpse each year of what the end of the journey is going to look like. You see, it's a prefiguring of the holy mystery of the the divine liturgy, which is in itself a prefiguring of the kingdom of God when heaven and earth are joined. Wow. So contemplate this today, I'd ask you. Contemplate this. Contemplate this today as we celebrate these holy mysteries in the divine liturgy today, as, as we pray for the descent of the Holy and life-giving Spirit upon the gifts of bread and wine, that they may be changed into the precious body and blood of Jesus Christ, who gives himself as, as divine and holy food. Well, as we pray that, as we pray that today, pray too that we might understand a bit more, even just, even just ever so slightly, what it is that we are called to by the, by the Christian hope and in the Christian hope. 
in the hope of the coming of the kingdom, in, in the hope of a glorious resurrection, and in the hope of life eternal. And that's pointing us liturgically to just a few weeks down the road, you see. That's what the end of the journey looks like. But then let that come full circle and perhaps inform us as as to how we live our lives out there in the world as well. When we take what we're fed with here from the altar and allow that to energize us to go out into the world as well. To inform how we live our lives and trying to make the kingdom present right here and right now in treating each other, in treating one another, and in treating everyone else as we would treat Jesus Christ. In trying to see the face of Jesus Christ in each other, even with those with whom we most need to be reconciled in our lives. For that's his plan, you see. That's his plan. And that is what the kingdom will look like. It's a miracle, a miracle that's much greater than just the multiplication of loaves and fishes. If we stop there with that miracle and don't go beyond that, we've really kind of missed his point. It's a miracle much greater than just that multiplication. It's a miracle spoken of in the middle of the 4th century by the great Western doctor of the church, St. Hilary of Poitiers, who wrote, Wonder not that the fountains run, Wonder not that there are grapes in the vines, and that wine comes forth from the grapes, and that all the resources of this world come to us in a certain yearly and unwearied motion. For this so great yield of loaves proclaims the maker of all this, by whom the quantity of the substance he has touched is so increased. Under this visible work we have an invisible making, And the Lord of Heaven's mysteries works the miracle of this mystery before us. And the power of Him who makes surpasses all nature. And the nature of that power far exceeds our understanding of what He does. And all that remains is the mystery of His power, who with the Father and the Holy Ghost liveth and reigneth ever, one God, world without end. Amen. Amen.